Praise the Lord, everyone out there in podcast land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods. And before our episode starts, I just would like to thank all of you that have supported our uh, Revelation Revolution uh, podcast. We're uh, up over 5,400 uh, downloads and listens. And I want to take this opportunity to thank all of you. It means so much uh, to my wife and I, my wife Shantia and I for you guys to support us. And I just want to give a shout out to the different places around the world that are listening uh, to our podcast. And the first, uh, uh, obviously, the United States, uh, but those that are in the UK, uh, we have listeners in England and Scotland. Those of you who are in Canada, we have listeners in Ontario, British Columbia, Quebec, Alberta, Saskatchewan, I know that probably didn't say that right, Manitoba, and Nova Scotia. Thanks for all you listeners in Canada. <laughs> From South Africa, we have KwaZulu Natal, uh, Gauteng, Western Cape, and M. Pulanga, uh, probably Pulanga, uh, and this, and forgive me if I mispronounce it, uh, from South Africa. Then we have from New Zealand, we have uh, listeners down there in Auckland. And so we, Auckland, thank you so much for being part of our listening audience. And then from Australia, we have listeners in Victoria. Western Australia, New South Wales, uh, Queensland, and South Australia. Oh, glory, glory to God. We are so, we, we are totally excited. And even from Portugal, we have listeners in Lisbon. And so I wanted to thank all of you from the bottom of my heart for supporting this ministry through listening. And I pray that you are getting blessed by it. Uh, I would love to hear from you. Uh, you could uh, email us at phdministries, the number 400 at att.net. That is phdministries400 at att.net. You can write us at uh, 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 Dennis Woods in care of Power of the Holy Ghost Deliverance Ministries and you could write uh, uh, send any uh, uh, donations if you would like to do that it's fine uh, or you'd like to communicate with us it's by uh, snail mail it's fine our post office box is post office box 1239 and that's Mattison that's M-A-T-T-E-S-O-N Illinois and the zip there is 60443. Again, if you want to send us, um, uh, uh, write us, that would be great. We'd love to hear from you. Our post office box is P.O. Box 1239, and that's Mattison, M-A-T-T-E-S-O-N, Illinois. The zip is 60443. I'm not going to be labored at time. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support in Jesus' name.
Praise the Lord, everyone out there in podcast land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution podcast. Today is uh, December 14th, 2021, and uh, we are just uh, so glad to be with you uh, again. We want to just acknowledge the many people in Tennessee, Illinois, I think Indiana, uh, Kentucky, excuse me, Kentucky, Illinois. Uh, I think parts of Indiana, I forget the other state. This one tornado, tornadoes usually skip around, was on the ground for 250 miles. Ladies and gentlemen, that is unheard of. We keep hearing the superlatives. This is the worst that we've ever seen. We've been hearing that with the hurricanes. We've been hearing that with the, this with this tornado. We've been hearing this with the fires in, in California. We've been hearing this with the floods. And all of these things, all of these birth pangs are manifesting in our world. Not to talk about the political and the military stress between politics, stress between the races, stress internationally. You know, you've got uh, Russia now uh, wanting to go into Crimea and uh, the Ukraine. Uh, you have China flexing its muscles against Taiwan. And you've got political upheaval here in the United States. You just have so many things that are going on in North America, South America, all over the world. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in perilous times and you don't need me to tell you that. You know, one of the young uh, mothers, uh, one of the women that were interviewed from the, uh, the candle factory that was destroyed in Kentucky, Uh, She said there was a point where she said, she cried out, where is God? Where is God? Well, the answer to that question is God is where he has always been. On the throne in control of all things. Whether we understand them or not, ladies and gentlemen, we are living in a fallen world. In a falling world, even though you have good things, like wind, it's a good thing. Feel the breeze, summer breeze, and out flying a kite, or if you're sailing a boat, have enough wind. Wind is a wonderful thing. Rain is wonderful. All our flowers and our crops grow. We know what this world would be like. If there was no rain, matter of fact, there are famines going on. There's famine in California uh, 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 that caused famines, but a drought rather uh, going on in California. There was there is droughts out there and other parts of the world that ends up causing famines. But you have things like good things like sun and wind and rain, warm air and cold air and the differences and temperatures and all of that. These are great things that are all part of the ecology, the ecosystem of our planet. But ladies and gentlemen, having wind and rain makes tornadoes possible.
And this is what we have to understand. In the world that we are living in, good things, though they may be good, make other things that are not so good possible. Let me give you an example. Automobiles. These are good things. I have one. You have one. Most of the people that are listening to me have one. Or if you don't own a vehicle, you take the bus, you ride a train, you benefit somehow from motor vehicles being part of our lives. But cars make traffic deaths and car accidents possible. Yes. So even the good things that we have in a fallen world can factor into bad things happening. The reason why I bring this up is because those good people in Kentucky, there were churches that were destroyed. There were people who pray that died. There were people that served God and loved God, read their Bibles, go to church, and wouldn't hurt a fly, crushed in their homes. This whole idea that if you become a Christian, you are somehow insulated from the world's evils and from the world's, from living in a precarious, dangerous, inherently, intrinsically dangerous world. So the question often is, is where is God? God ain't it your job to protect me. God, ain't it your job to make sure nothing bad happens to me? God, isn't it your job to make sure that no evil befalls me ever in a fallen world? And so whenever tragedy happens and people die, the question is, where is God? And the reason why we're talking about this is because we're going to look at a group of Christians that I feel has gotten the short end of the stick ever since dispensationalism and pre-tribulationism has been taught in the world. And the Christians that I'm talking about specifically are the tribute what is called the tribulation saints now in the popular series by Tim LaHaye and I forget the other person's name both of them are gone on to be the Lord now their whole series that has become movies and a very popular book series left behind and it gives you this scenario of how the rapture is going to go down People is just going to, the the world's going to be going about his business and everything. But as Jesus said, like in the days of Noah, the days of not, they were buying, selling, doing their thing. Sudden destruction came. But this is how they set it up on the rapture. That the rapture is going to happen suddenly in the twinkle of the eye. And all of the Christians were going to be taken out of the world. Now, When all the Christians are taken out of the world, some of those Christians are going to be flying airplanes or driving cars or operating or having some critical function 
that when they disappear, that jet just crashes. And so the rapture opens the door to judgment on the world just by the rapture itself happening. Now, let's get this set up correctly. In pre-tribulationism, they are we are taught that the rapture occurs because the Holy Spirit in the church is identified in 2 Thessalonians as the restrainer of evil in the world. And the Antichrist cannot be revealed to the world according to 2 Thessalonians until this restrainer is removed. And once the restrainer is removed then the Antichrist can be revealed. So, to the pre-tribulationist, they say, aha, when is the restrainer going to be revealed to the world? Then their concept is, well, he'll be revealed to the world when he signs or inaugurates the, the covenant with many, uh, Daniel 9.27, which is a covenant of peace that is going to be for a period of seven years. The world is going to know because that same person three and a half years later becomes what is known in the book of Revelation as the beast. Synonymous term Antichrist. So they say the Antichrist will be revealed to the world when he signs the peace covenant. Second Thessalonians says that that day cannot come until there's a falling away first, then apostasia, and the man of sin be revealed. But then in verses 5 through 7 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul then talks about something that's holding back the revealing of the Antichrist. And it is a what neuter. Now you know what withholdeth, or now you know what restrains. Paul says, I told you these things when I was with you. He says, now you know only he who now letteth, or he who now restrains or withholds, will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that wicked one shall be revealed, whom the Lord shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, and all of that. And so, so that's paraphrasing Second Thessalonians uh, chapter number 2, verses 3 through about verses uh, uh, 7, 8, 9, 10. So, the pre-tribulationists is taught that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. They just came up with that conclusion. There's no scriptures that say that. There, there's none that actually links this Holy Spirit directly as being the restraining force. That's how they fill in the blanks because Paul didn't say who it was. Now, they do use some passages of scripture to justify it. Of course, they have nothing to do with Antichrist himself, but they they use different scriptures. So, just go back to my other podcast to, to understand that. So... Uh, to get all the training and uh, uh, the lessons that I teach on that and breaking all that down. I don't want to get stuck there tonight. So, 
since they teach that this restrainer is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is now resident in the church, it's the Holy Spirit and the church who is the restrainer of evil. Now, the text doesn't say that this restrainer is the restrainer of all evil through all time. The text is talking about the restraint of an, a specific individual at a specific time. But nevertheless, they, they, they expand the meaning to a historical evil and who's doing it. And they go through all this song and dance of who can do it and who cannot do it, even though Paul didn't say who it was. So, because the pre-trib rapture theory is the predominant eschatological position that is taught in most Protestant churches. Most Christians are taught that the church and the Holy Spirit are going to be removed. When that happens, all hell is going to break loose on the world because there's no more restraint of evil. Number one. But number two, then the Antichrist can be revealed to the world. So, once the church goes, once the church leaves via the rapture, there will still be those who come to Christ. They didn't make the rapture cut. These are people, whatever reason, they were carnal, they were still sinning, they weren't born again. Whatever the reason it is, they end up getting left behind. So, it is this left behind group that pre-trib says are the focal point of Revelation chapter 7 when we talk about the great multitude. And we're going to read the scriptures. We're going to get it to it. But I just want to set it up for you. So when we get there, you'll, you'll understand uh, uh, where I'm coming from uh, as we go through this teaching. I just need to set it up for you. So it's these tribulation saints who are not a part of the church. Now, one of the technical reasons that they use to say that the tribulation saints are not a part of the church. These are the people who get saved after the church is gone. Of course, they missed the rapture cut. They were some carnal, wicked people. But they only come to Christ after the church. All the good folks are gone. And now the only way they can get saved is by get being martyred uh, when the Antichrist starts killing Christians. Because evidently, according to the book of Revelation, there are still people that believe in Jesus that are still going to be here. Pre-trib says, well, that's not the church because we're gone already because the restrainer has taken us to heaven. And the restrainer is the Holy Spirit, even though the scriptures does not say that the Holy Spirit is the restrainer. So this is, these are all the conjectural things that are thrown into the most popular rapture theory. And therefore, people like Tim LaHaye and all of them, uh, that pre-tribulationists that be believe this, this scenario, this rapture scenario, this eschatological scheme, they believe that. And so anybody that's left behind, they'll have to get their heads cut off and all of that. And they, these are the left behind people that, again, didn't make the rapture cut. So therefore, the 
the tribulation saints are looked at in a negative light because these were the people who were at the bar when the rapture happened and uh, uh, they didn't make it but maybe they may have heard a cousin or a sermon in the past or something like that and they know a little about Jesus and so then they'll recognize oh the rapture done happened and we done missed it let's get ourselves together now and now we gonna get say since how the church is gone so this is the whole scenario of the left behind scenario ladies and gentlemen there could be nothing further from the truth <laughs> this this whole thing that's been cooked up that appeases the flesh because what it does people are people are, are raptured before all the trouble happens and so the information that God put in the book of Revelation for that last generation of church saints what happens is is that's ignored they're looked at as second class citizens and we have the entire plan laid out for us in the book of Revelation that God wanted us to know for a reason and so this is why my program is called Revelation Revolution. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to take another look at the book of Revelation and understand that God has a plan for the church of the last days. And because there is not going to be a time period that is is that can be compared to the tribulation period that is coming, what God did is the next best thing. He sent John into the future to write it all down so we'll have it before it even gets here and we know what's going to happen before it comes. Ladies and gentlemen, that's how you deal with tribulation. That's how you deal with destruction. If you only knew that disaster was headed right up the street from you and you knew it was coming, you would go another way. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the purposes for the book of the Revelation. Is to give Christians information on a time period that will be unequaled in all human history. There's nothing to compare it to. So what God did is did the next best thing. Let John go into the future and write it down. So we'll all know. We'll all have details that'll be necessary in the name of Jesus. So now let us turn to the scriptures and let's get into our study. I'm going to begin reading from the book of the Revelation chapter Number seven, we're going to read verses nine through 12. And this version that I'm reading from right now will be the new King James version of the Bible. Now, Revelation chapter seven, verse nine through 12, it says, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb verse number 11 and all the angels stood round around the throne 
and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever amen oh glory to God so now in the book of Revelation chapter 7 there's a great multitude People in heaven. Who are these people? They're too numerous. A multitude that could not be numbered. The Bible is clear. They're from all nations. Tribes, people, and tongues. These are the redeemed. Out of the world. Standing. Before God. In heaven. Beginning at then verse 13 through 17. Then one of the elders answered and say, saying unto me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? Just a footnote here. So John has already been caught up in, into heaven, the heavenly realms. And so now he's caught up. He was on the island of Patmos, caught up. And he's seeing these visions in chapter 7 of Revelation. He's actually seeing this stuff. Glory to God. And one of these people that identified as an elder, and we're going to get into who these elders could be, who they're, not, who they're not, and all that. We'll get into that. Just hang on. One of the elders asked John. So John is the guest. The elder is a heavenly host. And the elder asked him, say to, he's asking John, who are these arrayed in the white robes and where do they come from? And John said to him, sir, you know, well, that, that was a good answer, John. John, no, he didn't know. <laughs> so he threw it right back on him. You know. So John continued to write. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Verse 15, therefore, now listen to this therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask the reason, what is it therefore? Because it is about to give you amplifying information on what just came before it. So now you, John sees all of this multitude of people from every race, creed, and culture, from every nation. They're all standing before God in white robes and they're all praising God in a loud voice. And the one of the elders asked John, he said, John, who are these folks? John looked back at him and said, man, you know. Then the elder says, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. Now, the great tribulation is the vehicle, if you will, that they just came through and now they are standing before the throne of God. That's why he says, therefore, because.
because of what they just came out of understanding the fact that they just traversed through a period called the great tribulation because they have come through that and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the land therefore they are now standing before the throne of God himself now I want to just put a tack right there because we're going to come back to this and I want you to just understand and just juxtapose that with the narrative that pre-trib has put on these people Oh, those, they, those are the left behind. They wasn't right. They, didn't, they missed the rapture. Jesus came and they were, the, uh, 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 they were the unwise virgins. And they were the ones that they, they was in the nightclub. They was fornicating. They was doing whatever they was doing. The rapture came. They got left behind, looked around and said, oh, them people that was talking about the rapture, they was right. Oh, that's what we just missed. So now let's get our lives together. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. The Bible makes no such claim ever in the book of Revelation about the tribulation saints being someone who lacked moral fortitude, virtue, or righteousness at all. Revelation never paints them in a negative light. There is no narrative at all that casts any shadow or dispersion against these saints. The ones who cast dispersion on them are those of the dispensational pre-trib camp because they have to do that is because they have already declared that all the good people are gone. So since they've made that declaration, they have no other choice than to say, well, these must be the left behinds. But that's because their theory is based upon one of his major tenets, not the only one, one of the major tenets is that the Holy Spirit is the restrainer that had to be removed and the church had to, because the Holy Spirit is resident in the church and the church is the restrainer, the church and the Holy Spirit together work to restrain the evil in the world. So when that's taken out of the way, then all the good people are gone and it leaves the bad people. And some of them bad folks are going to look around and say, oh, my sister's gone. She used to tell me, boy, you bet you're going to miss the rapture. And so since they didn't listen to all the good folks and believe the gospel, they got left behind. And then all of a sudden, they just going to get their lives right at the worst time in human history. That's the pre-trib narrative. What I'm telling you, that's not the biblical narrative therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his 
temple. Ladies and gentlemen, these saints are so highly esteemed that their position in heaven is to serve God directly in his temple day and night. Let me continue to read part B of verse 15. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Verse 16, they shall never, they shall neither hunger anymore or thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The wiping away of the tears from the eyes was a promise made to all of God's holy people. Where in this narrative do you see anything, any inkling of these with some poor saps left behind? Because they wasn't goody two-shoes enough to catch the rapture. That's not the narrative of Revelation. That is the position of those who teach pre-trib. And, and not to cast dispersion upon them. It is a, it is a, it is a doctrinal theory that is very problematic. And it undercuts the message of the book of the Revelation when it comes to who are these people. Now, let's get into defining some of the main players here in this scenario. Again, if we go back to verse number 13, Revelation 7, it says, Then one of the elders... So now, who are these elders? Okay. Uh, we first see the elders mentioned in Revelation. Uh, one of the early mentions of them in Revelation. Uh, Revelation 4.4. Let's look at it. This time I'm reading for the KJ KJV. It says, And around about the throne were four and twenty seats. Okay. The NIV says thrones. KJV says seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And then Revelation 4, 6 through 8 it also reads also in the front of the also in the front of the throne there were it's what looked like a sea of glass, as clear as crystal. Now John is in heaven, in heaven, and in the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in back. Verse number seven. And the first living creature was like an ox. The second was like, I'm sorry. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. 
each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So, this is very interesting. Ezekiel also saw the cherubims. And, but those were different because each one of them had a face. As a matter of fact, let me turn to the text. In Ezekiel chapter number 1. Verse number four, and the prophet says, As I looked, behold, a storm wind was coming from the north, and a great cloud with fire flashing forth continually, and a bright light around it, and in its midst something like glowing metal in the midst of fire. Within it there were figures resembling four living beings. I'm reading from the NASB. And this was their appearance. They had a human form. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet like a calf's hoof. They gleamed like burnished bronze under their wings on their four sides were human hands and as faces and as for the faces and the wings of the four of them their wings touched one another and their faces did not turn when they moved each went straight forward and as for the form of their faces each had the face of a man all four had the face of a lion on the right, the face of a bull on the left, and all four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And their wings were spread out above, and each had two touching another being, and two covering their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. In the midst of these living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright. The lightning was flashing from the fire. And the living beings ran to and fro like bolts of lightning. Glory to God. Now I can keep on reading. You go to Ezekiel chapter number one and you can read it in your own time yourself. So these creatures that Ezekiel saw are similar to the ones that John saw. These living creatures. Interesting. And the ones that Ezekiel saw, each one of them had four faces. 
However, in Revelation, there were four creatures having one face, but the faces were the same faces that the ones that Ezekiel saw that had four faces on one. The lion, the ox, the eagle, and the face of the man. In Revelation, one had a face of a man, one had the face of an ox, one had the face of a lion, one had the face of a, was like a flying eagle. So, the only words human beings could use to describe them, because we don't know what they are. See, we call everything an angel up in heaven. That's because we're humans. We haven't been up there. We don't know what's up there. We have no idea. You know, we just act like it's God, Jesus, <laughs> you know, you know, the, you know, God and a whole bunch of angels. And we don't, that, that's all we know. Because if it's in heaven, it's an angel. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you keep reading your Bible, you'll find out. You don't have words to describe some of these things. And so, John uh, and in Revelation or Ezekiel or Isaiah, they just call these beings living creatures. Because that's what else are you going to call them? So, going back to Revelation chapter 4, verse number 6 through 8. It says, so in front of the throne, there was a look like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center, round about the throne, were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes, front and back. The first living creature, again, was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was like the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. And all they did is cry, holy, holy, holy. Now, the other prominent people are the elders because if you remember when we were reading about the great multitude it was one of the elders what comes to find out is 24 of these elders glory to God Let's go back to Revelation 4.4. 4. Let's read it again. And round about the throne, talking about God's throne, there were 24 seats. And upon each of the seats I saw four and 24 elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads uh, crowns of gold. So the question is, is who are these elders? <laughs> who are they? All right, now, it's important. Let's re I'm gonna I'm gonna bring break out a few commentaries here. I'm gonna read directly from the commentary so you'll understand. This is from the New American Commentary. Some have interpreted them to be twenty-four angels that make up a heavenly council, although only two orders of angels are named in the scriptures: cherubim and seraphims. To see these twenty-four elders as archangels of 24 orders of angels is possible okay there but let me go back there's 20 there's uh two orders of winged angels because of, of the other angels even though we see them in artwork we got michael the archangel with wings no, none of the angels are said to have wings the only ones that are said to have wings in the bible are the cherubim and the seraphims the seraphims you find in isaiah chapter 6 the, cherub, the cherubims you find in ezekiel and the uh the ones here in revelation okay all right a second perspective connects them to the church and views the 24 elders as represent representatives of the entire church of god on this explanation the number 24 represents a doubling of the complete number 12 ostensibly would represent the church in its fullness okay a third perspective 
would note the 24 as symbolic of the redeemed of all time to represented by the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Though there are variations, these appear to be the major viable positions for identifying the 24 elders. So now we have the heavenly council made of some type of angelic beings. The second one is the church by itself or the all of the redeemed represented by Israel and the 12 apostles making these 24 elders humans or redeemed humans. Okay. So now let's go to the MacArthur New Testament commentary, which is one of the top evangelical uh, pre-trib scholars around today, very popular. Anyway, this is what MacArthur says. It is unlikely then that the 24 elders are angels. So MacArthur automatically attacks that. He says these did not angels or that they represent Israel. So he's coming up with he don't think they Israel. The tribulation saints or a combination of Israel and the church. So now MacArthur is just knocking all those down. That leaves one most acceptable possibility that they represent the raptured, glorified, coronated church, which sings the song of redemption. They have their crowns and live in a place prepared for them where they have gone to be with Jesus. So in other words, as a good pre-tribber, he then says, well, no, these 24 elders, they, uh, they, they represent the church. And because uh, they got on crowns, they got on white robes and all of that. So that's what John MacArthur says. Now, we're going to read from the new Bible commentary. Okay, it says the 24 elders are reminiscent of Isaiah 24, 23, where the elders were viewed as Jewish leaders. These elders have been have often been interpreted as representatives of Israel and the church, the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles. And first uh, uh, Chronicles 24 and 4, however, we read of 24 priestly orders and in First Chronicles 25 and 1, of the 24 orders of Levites appointed to prophesy and praise with the harps and the cymbals. Since in Revelation 5, 8, the elders present the prayers of God's people and in Revelation 4, 6 through 11 are linked with the four living creatures. They are evidently to be understood as exalted angelic beings worshiping and serving the creator. So, so what are we to walk away with? Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to say something very, very simple, very easy to understand. The truth is, no one knows on earth who these 24 elders are. <laughs> we don't know. We haven't been up there. We haven't interviewed any of these people. Look, you got people down here on earth with some doctor's degrees who, who make themselves experts in realms of heaven where no man's been. Unless you're redeemed and be with Jesus. Nobody's going back and forth. John didn't know who they were. John didn't say who they were. All he could do, he used the word elder. Okay? No one has been up to heaven to see these individuals. We are mere human beings thinking on, speaking on things in the heavenly eternal realm, which none of us have access to, nor can we experience personally.
In all honesty, ladies and gentlemen, we don't know who these people are. Or even if they're people. We're not sure. We're not sure. But see, scholars aren't going to tell you the truth. They're not going to say we're not sure. They got degrees. They got reputations to uphold. They got books to write and, and chalkboards to write on in their seminaries. They have reputations and traditions and doctrines to protect. So they have to project certain things. But it's not like John MacArthur has taken his butt into heaven and seen anything. Or any of these people. Or even me. How can we speak with any confidence of the ontological nature of anything in heaven? We don't know. We use human language to describe eternal things that we can't even conceive of. Yet we're writing books talking about who these people are. And we have no idea. Period. However, Pre-trib uses this text as a proof that the church has already been raptured and that the elders represent the church. Again, this is just a conclusion they come up with. That's their conclusion. Ladies and gentlemen, they just come up with stuff. This is what they assert. They assert that since they are called elders, they must be redeemed humans. MacArthur asserts. Then he gets into the Greek. Presbyteros, elders, is never used in the scripture to refer to angels. Now he's giving his reasons. But always to men. It is used to speak of older men in general and the rules of both and the rulers of both Israel and the church. There is no indisputable use of presbyteros outside of revelation to refer to angels. Some believe that the elders in Isaiah 24-23 refer to angels, but it could as well refer to humans. Further, elder would be inappropriate term to describe angels who do not age. Now, just let me just chime in right there. You can't use the word elder to describe angels because they don't age. Well, but then you would have to apply that to a human that's up there. So the human, are they referring, so they must be humans because in heaven they do age? Or maybe these are, these, these are, uh, these are elders who are stuck with white hair and 70 years old for eternity? See, it gets real ridiculous after you start looking at what, what is actually being said here. Let's keep, let's keep reading. I'm going to give you some definitions from the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament uh, contributions of Dr. Kittle. In Revelation 4.4 4 and 5.6, the 24 elders surround the throne of God. The fact that they sit on thrones and are adorned with white robes and crowns suggests that they are a heavenly consul. Yet they have no judicial office, but simply discharge a function of worship. Their divine service in heaven accompanies the work of God on earth. Differentiated both from transfigured saints and from angels that surround the throne. They seem to be closer to the divine throne and one of them speaks of the divine and is addressed by him as Kairos. So, you know, it's... It's amazing how we as humans try to come up with all these definitions. Now listen to what 
the points that I just want to counter that MacArthur made. In Revelation, the word elders, number one, is an adjective. It's not a noun. In other words, John is using descriptive language. Here, elder cannot be taken as a definitive noun or a technical term. John uses many terms from the point of observation. This is called phenomenological language. Phenomenological language. Or as things appear to the eye. Such as we say the sun is rising in east. The sun isn't rising, but that's how it looks to us. Now, look at this. All the angels were standing around the throne of God and around and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. Now notice. John calls those things with the four faces and all that. He just calls them living creatures. You know why he calls them that? Because that's the only thing he could call them. Because he has no idea what these things are. He can only describe them the way he saw them. So he called them living creatures. That doesn't mean that's what God calls them. That doesn't mean that they're even angels. They may be some other creature that human beings have no idea what they are. Because they're in another realm we don't have access to. And we just think it's just God and angels up there. That's all we know. And we act like we have exclusive, extensive knowledge of things in a realm that we cannot go. That flesh and blood cannot go. So when John described these beings, whatever they are, he just, the only words he could use was living creatures. He's using descriptive terms to describe something that he has no words or no language to put on them. That would do any justice to actually define at an ontological level, at a core level of what they are. We have no idea. The only thing he can call them is living creatures. The same thing Ezekiel called them, living creatures. Because how do you describe something like that? And what name do you call it unless God tell you their name? And then probably, it was probably a word that is far beyond the intelligence of a human being to even relate. John has no idea what these beings actually are. He can only describe them as living creatures. It's only terminology available to him. The same thing is true with the word elders, ladies and gentlemen. It's more of a descriptive, non, more descriptive than technical. Therefore, you cannot insist that these are humans because the word elder on earth is used a certain way. We then assume that these earthly words govern the things in heaven as well. So if elder means an old man on earth, it's got to mean the same thing in heaven, y'all. Ladies and gentlemen, to make that quantum leap, it's beyond reasonable and it's actually foolish. Again, John is not using a technical term. This is the word he used to describe them. We don't have the word that God or the heavenly host uses for them. That's what John called them. 
just like he called them living creatures. You think that's what that's the name that God gave them? Oh, y'all is living creatures because that's the only words we they have on earth. So that's what God is saying. That's how it is in heaven. Whatever John saw, elder is the word he used. But it's a, it's an adjective, not a noun. No human being on earth can say with any certainty who or what these elders are, let alone insisting that they represent the church in heaven. See, pre-trib is always looking for some way to say, see there, the rapture doesn't happen. All the good folks is in heaven and them folks down on earth, them the bad ones because they got left behind. Now, unless someone has been to heaven and interacted with these beings, whatsoever they are, no one on earth knows what the heck they are talking about. That includes MacArthur. That includes anybody else. We don't know. And instead of scholars saying we don't know, we don't do that because that doesn't. We, then we don't look smart. Then we look vulnerable. Well. There are some possibilities, though. We're going to look at a few of them. <laughs> Y'all should have known we wasn't going to leave it there. There's some possibilities. Let's look at them. These 24 elders, they could be Old Testament saints that have been resurrected. But you're going, wait a minute, Dr. Woods, how can you say, how can you say that the, re the resurrection, uh, the, how they in heaven, the resurrection hasn't occurred and all that, how, how do we know that? Well, Matthew gives us a glimpse. Let's look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 and 53. Now, this is possibilities. I'm not saying, I ain't been up there, I don't know who these folks are. Don't ask me. I'm going to give you some biblical possibilities, though. And the graves were open. Now, this is after Jesus' resurrection. It says, And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And they came out of their graves after his, his there being Jesus' resurrection. And they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, just like Jesus, after he rose from the dead, went up to heaven and he appeared again. He appeared to people after he had been raised. Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus rose from the dead, there were other saints that rose behind him. Now, I know you may not have ever heard this before, but I just read it to you. I just read it to you. Matthew chapter 27, 52 and 53. Of course, everybody's divided. Oh, they, these, they, they came out of their graves and then two weeks later, they died again. You know, no. These were, they raised out of their graves, like, at least like Dr. Walvoord says, uh, these were a, a, a first fruits wave or something that he describes them like that. But this was a, a, a wave of people that, because the way into heaven had not been consecrated yet, and that's what the tearing of the veil of the temple meant. Now Jesus had consecrated that way into heaven, and because of that, there were saints from the Old Testament 
who awaited. See, they were all in Abraham's bosom, you know, and I don't have time to go there. But but in Luke, there's a, an account of the rich man that died, rich man and Lazarus that died. Lazarus went into Abraham's bosom, which was called paradise. But paradise or Hades or we translate it hell in English but Hades really is the place of the departed dead and there was and, and obviously at that point before the resurrection there was a paradise part of Hades and there was a torment part of Hades in between both of them was a great gulf or a great chasm and you couldn't pass from one side to the other so but you could speak one side to the other so when the rich man died he was in torment when Lazarus who was a poor beggar when he died he was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom and now he was comforted in paradise and he and the rich man looked over and said Lazarus bring dip your finger in water and cool my tongue he says because I, I, I'm in torment and basically Lazarus said no bro can't do it I, you know uh, look can't do that he said besides there's a big gulf between me and you I can't get over to you no way so what I'm saying is, ladies and gentlemen, what many believe, we don't know for sure, but we, this is what was plausible, is the righteous dead were still kept in Hades, in the nice part of Hades, the part of the of departed dead, until Christ did his thing. In other words, died on the cross, raised from the dead again, the veil in the temple and after his resurrection came many of those Old Testament saints who were in Hades in the in the paradise part of Hades but the way into heaven for because see all fallen human beings have been waiting on Jesus not just the church the Old Testament saints looked for that Savior we're just post-resurrection and we're on the other side of the cross but we're both looking in back they looking forward we look back towards the cross that's that's what and jesus is is redeems he's the redeemer of everybody glory to god not just the church all of this so this is the only place in the bible this is mentioned about these Old Testament the saints and we know they're Old Testaments because they were saints that were already dead by the time Jesus rose up so technically the New Testament had not started yet because that doesn't that well well this would this would probably be considered by some as being the New Testament because Christ now has gone into the heavens or some consider it the uh, pouring out of the church uh, even though Matthew Mark Luke and John is in the the division of the Bible we call the New Testament Testament technically Jesus when he was here on earth was under the the, the administration or as some say the dispensation of law so the law of Moses was still uh, in uh, 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 in force once Jesus rose from the dead and that veil was rent technically this is when grace takes over because now Jesus is, is raised from the dead about to send the Holy Spirit back you're about to have paradise and this is why Jesus told them for the law came by Moses but grace and grace and truth came by Jesus Christ and so these saints could have rose and the ones that are seated on these 24 thrones in heaven they could be Old Testament we don't know they could be. How did they get into heaven? They rose 
after Christ's resurrection. Who these saints were, we don't know, but if we understand of what Jesus did, he led captivity captive and he went into heaven. So, hey, it could be that. Then it could be the divine consul. Let's get a look at uh, Second Chronicles uh, 18, 18 through 21. Now, this is when Ahab and uh, uh, King Jehoshaphat were going to uh, do a joint campaign and attack Syria. And so um, uh, uh, Ahab had his lion prophets saying they were going to win the battle. And Jehoshaphat saying, uh, could we like get a real prophet? So they called on this prophet by the name of Micaiah. And Micaiah, did, uh, uh, Jehoshaphat, I mean, excuse me, Ahab did not like Micaiah because he said Micaiah never prophesied anything good to him. Well, no, the, Micaiah always prophesied the truth. So uh, Ahab didn't like him. But long story short, this is these are the words of Micaiah. Second Chronicles 18, 18 through 21, the word of the Lord reads again he said therefore hear the word of the Lord I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all of the hosts of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left and the Lord said who will entice Ahab king of Israel that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead and one spake saying after this manner and another saying after that manner so who are these ones that are saying one thing one thing these are the host of heaven it's kind of like a council and they had all come around the Lord and Micaiah is seeing this vision in heaven he said it, it was kind of like a council had convened and the Lord said which one of y'all how are we going to do this to have uh, 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 Ahab fall in this battle and so, and then that's why it said, and the Lord said, who will entice King Ahab that he may go and fall upon Raymond Gilead, Ramoth Gilead. And one spake saying after this manner and another spake saying after that manner. So all of these consuls, they all gave their two cent. And then it says, then came out, then came out a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith, or how are you going to do it? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, thou shalt entice him and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. And so in other words, there was a divine council. They called in heaven. The Lord said, who's going to do this? He called these. Now, we don't know who these beings are. One says a spirit that could mean it was an evil angel or some other type of. See, we don't know. These are the things and some of the mysteries in, in, in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. So now when we start talking about these elders in heaven and we're trying to go, we're trying to guess on the word uh, with the word elder means an old man. So they got to be. No, 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 no. It's not, not, not so fast. Let's look at other possibilities of what the scriptures say. Now, let's look at something else. Let's look at the book of Daniel and Daniel chapter seven, verses nine and ten. Listen to this. It says, as I look, this is Daniel, thrones were set in place. I want you to pay attention to the plural thrones. 
were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. Now the ancient of days, that's Jesus, that's exalted Jesus, okay? His clothing was as white as snow and the hair of his head was white like wool. That's the same description we get of Jesus in the book of Revelation, okay? This is what it says. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze and a river of fire was flowing coming out from before him and thousands upon thousands attended him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. The court was seated and the books were open. Now, ladies and gentlemen, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Here we have in Daniel. He said, Daniel said, look, and thrones, plural. Now, this is in Daniel's day. So this could not have been elders from the church. There were thrones. There's more. And then it says God sat on his throne. Okay, so now we have this other ten thousands upon thousands attended him, and then ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. He says the court was seated. In other words, I guess the rulers of the court and the books were opened. So, ladies and gentlemen, this concept of a divine council in heaven—it's just amazing. It's amazing. Now, look at this. Let's go to the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. I'm reading from the NIV. I want you to listen to this very carefully. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, did you just hear that? That's the New Testament. That's Ephesians. Listen to what God was, God, look, and the things that God is doing through the church, people like you and me, and all the people that have been living since Pentecost, God is using redeemed human beings as a point, as an abject lesson. To prove something. But who is he trying to prove it to? Not just us. Listen to this. That the manifold wisdom of God should be made man be made known to the rulers. Listen to that part term. Rulers, plural, and authorities. In heavenly realms. So that's not talking about human beings. And notice the term rulers. Rulers, ladies and gentlemen. If they're rulers, they would sit on thrones. And if they sit on thrones, they could wear crowns. Rulers. We had no 
pie. Dear, who these are? This is heaven, ladies and gentlemen. We do not know what they are, who they are, what their names are. And it's none of our business. We are human beings. We are not the only ones in the universe. And I'm not talking about ETs on other planets. I'm saying there are realms and creatures, angelic beings, and all kind of things that are in the heavenly realms. We know there are at least horses in heaven because the Lord comes back. When he comes back in Revelation 19, he's riding a horse. And the saints that are with him are all riding on white horses. So what do we call them? Angelic horses? Yeah, because angel is the only word we know to give to beings like that because we, we're humans. We haven't been up in that realm. We don't know what we're talking about. We only know what the Bible says. And we know, only know what the Bible says through words that humans use. Which means we are very limited. But here the Bible makes it clear. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Look at what the pillar New Testament commentary says about this passage. God's intention was that his many splendid wisdom may now be made known through the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. These are not human beings. Listen to what it says, ladies and gentlemen, in the uh, James Montgomery voice, the voice expositional commentary. Listen to what he says. It is not only we, the members of the church, who are directed to look at this mystery. The rulers and authorities in heavenly realms are also said to be looking at the church as the place where God's manifold wisdom is made known. Voice expositional commentary. Let's read another commentary. The Beacon Bible Commentary. Through the church now constituted of Jews and Gentiles redeemed by the blood of Christ, Paul's service involves the display of God's wisdom before the intelligences and the heavenly order. The principalities and powers cannot here mean any type of earthly rulers because Paul says they are in heavenly places. So even though pre-trib tries to make the point, well, these are this is the church because they got on crowns and they're sitting on thrones and and the abema the bema seat judgment has already happened and all of that the text doesn't say that all the text says is the word that John used elders an adjective not a noun to be descriptive of what he's seeing but it is not definitive as to who these individuals were elders is the word he used you know, we use words all the time to describe stuff, but it don't. It, it, it may not be what it is. We get that wrong all the time. We do it on earth all the time. So, Preach Rib says these elders represent the church. Then who are they? What 24 would qualify? I just think it is. Now, MacArthur and Preach Rib say, oh, this represents the church. All right. Let's, let's just play this out. 
in church history would be so exalted in heaven that they would be it would be 24 of them and who would they be first of all what people in the age of the church would have more prominent position in heaven than the 12 apostles they're the foundation. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, but they found it. The, but the but laid upon the uh, chief cornerstone, the apostles laid the foundation. There is no other foundation. Their names are going to be written on the twelve foundations in heaven for eternity. So, if the twenty-four elders are supposed to represent the church, who would they be? What Martin Luther, uh, John Calvin, Finney, John Wesley? Charles Stanley, <laughs> Chuck Swindoll, who are they supposed to be? What, what humans could take that role? If anybody would take the role, 12 of them seats need to belong to the apostles. And, and let's just assume that let's just assume you go down that road. It's the twelve apostles. Well, if it's the twelve apostles, why didn't John recognize him? Because he would been he would have been one of the twelve. Think about that. The 12 foundations on New Jerusalem, ladies and gentlemen, Revelation 21, 16, are going to have the names of the 12 apostles written on them. Ladies and gentlemen, that's honor for all eternity that will never change forever, forever, and forever. We're going to have to do a part two on this, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Revelation Revolution. The second part of this class will be starting in a few seconds stay tuned because now we have to get into the great tribulation and why these tribulation saints are so important god bless you stay tuned the times answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy a powerful new book by dennis james woods wildfires earthquakes hurricanes and floods that devastates entire communities global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people social injustice unrest and lawlessness that threatens our societies where is this world heading and what does the bible say about the end times you Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.